You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey everybody, it's episode 122 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, sponsored by our beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. And thank you so much to everybody for supporting the show. I greatly appreciate it, and it really does mean a lot to me. Also, thank you very much to GameMat.eu for supporting the show as well. You know, they are in Europe, and they're doing a deal right now that's 15% off for UK customers, as like a we still love you during the whole Brexit thing. They're 15% off for UK customers, and... Um, 10% off. We have a code for everybody else in the world for 10% off event 10. So go ahead and do that and uh, let them know that you heard about it on the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. That would greatly uh, help me. I appreciate it. So what are we talking about tonight? So we got another one of those weird format shows. Okay. We have a very long, actually a double header for the Tesseract mailbox. And it is our buddy Andy, Patreon patron, and he writes in about Shorehammer some questions and how things ran and all that. And uh, we also have a letter from Les, which I am sorry I am so delayed in responding to because of the whole Shorehammer thing happened and all that. So he actually is mad at me about brutality. He's angry, angry Les. So Andy is asking questions and Les is angry. So let's get to both of those things. After that, I get angry. It's my, it's the Pimpcron's turn to get angry. And uh, this dude's Patreon page and his post that he made about it just pisses me off. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm just mad. So that's that's what we're going to get into with the real talk. And this is actually going to be quite a lengthy show. So it's uh, I don't know if it's going to be an hour or not, but it's going to be close to it. So what have I been up to? Well, my buddy James had a... Uh, game recently, a birthday game. We have our yearly James's birthday game with a bunch of buddies, and yes, masks and social distancing and blah blah blah. Just, just assume that, okay? We're not, we're not reckless with our health, so we're, we're doing all the things we should. Hand sanitizer. We only kissed at the beginning and end of each turn, not like during it. We're trying to limit all that. And um, only one pair of my friends had sex during the game. So it's, I mean, I don't think you can get, I'm pretty sure you can't get uh, COVID through a, a penis. <laughs> Whatever, man, I'm stupid. So uh, we had the uh, a big game, Age of Sigmar game, and our side ended up winning. It was actually pretty close. Um, we played Order, I was Stormcast, Melee, my friend Beastman was Stormcast, Shooty, and James was Daughters of Cain, and our buddies Derek played his uh, Blades of Corn. our buddy TJ played his um, Chaos, uh, Slaves to Darkness, and our other buddy Connor played his Rat People, his Skaven. And uh, it was really cool, a bunch of crazy stuff going on, but um, we ended up winning by like 17 points, but... You're thinking, oh, wow, 17 points, but no, the score was like, I'm just going to make up numbers, but it was like 167 to 150 or something. Uh, it was a lot of points, so we, we just won by not a whole lot, like 10%. Um, so think about that. That would be like us winning 11 to 10. Like It's a pretty darn close game. And um, what else have I been up to? I actually finished my six evocators. I, I painted them like in October the beginning of October. So it's been three months and, um, or practically three months. 
and I had them like 80% finished, but man, the evocators on Dracolines for Stormcast, they've got so many little bits. They've got like little straps and buckles and trinkets and all this nonsense. So I had been putting them off and I decided, you know what, I'm going to use this James's birthday game to, I'm going to bring them and I want them to be fully painted because the rest of my Stormcast army is fully painted. So I decided to crank them out in two nights, finish all the little bells and whistles and got them done, which makes me happy because they have not been fully painted. Um, like I said, they were 80% painted. I even used them in some games already because your brain kind of goes like, well, they're mostly painted and they look pretty good. Just that they're leather straps and they're all that isn't finished. So I played a, uh, fun game of 40 K this week with our buddy, Andrew, three time champion of Shorehammer, a different Andy than in the Tesseract mailbox. This is a local guy named Andrew and he's a three time Shorehammer Highlander champion. That That is, out of five years, he has won it three times. That is nuts. And I think he got second or third another year. Like, he's he's no joke. And uh, But he took a total softball list against me and our buddy uh, Trevor in the club this week. And um, he, we, we beat him pretty, we beat him pretty good. <laughs> so, I was like, you know, Andrew, I do greatly appreciate you, uh, toning it down for us. I'm glad you didn't take your A-list, but I feel like you probably could have taken just a little bit tougher of a list. Then again, his list was not, my list was not optimized at all. I just threw stuff on the board that I like. And um, Trevor usually plays some pretty tooled up stuff. And Andrew's stuff, it would have been better if he didn't roll such garbage. He rolled a lot of bad rolls. So um, we kind of trounced him, but I know that, you know, secretly there's the Hulk inside him. So he, we didn't, we, <laughs> we didn't beat him too bad because he was going easy on us. And, uh, what else? I feel like there was something else. Oh, I started recording on the Brutality solo campaign. So, um, we wrapped up the other solo campaign based on the Collegium Carnus. And now my YouTube followers and the, um, Brutality Skirmish Wargame is on YouTube, by the way. We have our own channel. And our YouTube followers and the Facebook group people all voted on Beast Kingdoms to be the next faction. And I let them, I had two models that I was in love with, a rhino and a boar lady with pistols. And I definitely said, okay, of the five models, these two are definitely in the warband. But I'm going to give you about a dozen models to choose from. And I put a poll up on Facebook and I said, you guys vote on the other three to round out this group. And they voted on uh, this mantic, uh, uh, mantic. Mantis Monk, which is really cool, and they voted on this tiny angry shark man, and they also voted on a bird wizard, which was my personal favorite. And his name is Steven, and he's a seagull. Did you get it? Did did you Steven Seagull? See see never mind, you don't get it. Alright, so anyway, he's uh it was really fun. We have recorded the first episode and uh we are gonna be posting it probably tomorrow or something. And the, um, the first game was freaking amazing. I actually want to talk about it, but I I know some of you follow it, so I'm not going to, but the last, the last turn of it was so unbelievable that there is no way that you would believe me if I did not happen to be recording my rolls. It was all one take and I rolled this monster attacks, this guy and all this stuff. And if you did not see me physically roll these rolls on camera in one take, you would never believe that I rolled them. You'd be like, okay, pimp ground softball on himself or whatever. And no, there's, it's just, 
truly amazing. And uh, I actually kind of lose my shit on the on the video because I'm like, oh my god, I cannot believe this is happening. So it was a great first episode. And uh, this warband, have you ever gotten the feeling like models kind of get an attitude or an aura about them? And I know this sounds very woo-woo, but it's the truth. My Collegium Carnum, uh, Carnus people, uh, they often kind of were fail boats. Like they, they kind of failed quite a bit. And um, the only person that really stood out was, of course, um, uh, why can I not think of his name? Whatever. The the giant ape dude with the Gatling gun. I cannot think of his name right now. I'm drawing a blank. But he was the one that was the MVP. And everyone else was kind of lame. Uh, my Pistolier Lady never did anything in the last game. It was just pretty lame. But these Beast Kingdoms people were beastly. I gotta tell you. They were powerful. They did amazing stuff. And they're all just basic models. They haven't even earned the right to upgrade yet in a campaign. So it was very, very cool. So... Anyway, um, that is basically it, I think. I painted stuff. I, um, I'm going to talk all about the bestiary and arena mode um, in the Tesseract mailbox because uh, Les is talking about it. So I'm not going to mention that. But uh, I do want to say that I feel like the bestiary and arena mode will be on sale or for sale in the next couple days. I'm going to finish editing it, change it all up, and then look it over one last time. And then if that's all good, I'm going to post it up for sale. So I'm very excited about that. I also got to play Tabletop Simulator Brutality with uh, old Leroy Jenkins, one of our Patreon sponsors. And uh, we played, uh, I, I just had a list already made up and he made a pretty good list. So I was surprised at how good he was at the game, just being his first, like, I think official game. And uh, he beat me pretty good. I don't remember exactly what the score was. I think seven to four. I might be just making that up, but he, he beat me pretty decently. So uh, we had some things. I, the funniest part about that battle is that I had this one rat on the side, and he went up to get this objective, and he just had the worst night. He never did die, but but at one point, this poor rat had two confusions and two pauses on him. So uh, not to mention, he was paused and... Uh, Leroy disarmed him, so you can only ever pick up your weapon and not be disarmed for the rest of the game if you use if you pick it up as an action in your next movement phase. But if you're paused, you can't make it unless you break out of it, and he couldn't break out of it, so therefore he had his weapons killed, uh, broken the rest of the game, which was kind of hilarious and kind of tragic. And then at the very end of the game, uh, he critically failed, I think... Oh, in the very beginning of the game, he critically failed his role of like a one and scattered um, to loot this objective. And the very end of the game, he critically failed again. So it was just not, he did survive with one hit point, but it was just not his game. And uh, it was pretty darn funny. It was a good game. So I don't know what has happened recently, but I've had so many good games like Brutality and Shorehammer and personal games like James's birthday game and all that. Just so much fun. I don't know why, um, but it's it's been a blast. So a lot of good stuff going on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And uh, let's get on to the Tesseract mailbox. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. What's up, baby? It is the Tesseract Mailbox, and this is the Pimpcron. If you didn't already, you know, you're halfway through this damn episode, and you don't know who I am. <sighs> anyway, this letter is uh, long overdue, unfortunately. Um, I have actually already replied to him. Like, 
embarrassingly enough, like three weeks ago. So I'm sorry for this less, but uh, I have replied to him privately in email, but I figured I might as well get this going. So we actually have two test rack mailboxes today because uh, Les has been on the docket for quite some time waiting for an on-air response, and uh, Andy also messaged. Andy messaged about Shorehammer, so I figured I might as well put it on this next episode uh, while we're wrapping up all the Shorehammer nonsense and getting it out of your hair for another 12 months. So, Les writes at pimpcron at gmail.com, Hey, Pimpcron, I'm mad at you. I stopped playing miniature games, I'm sorry, I stopped playing miniature war games a couple years ago because it always seemed to be a rat race. You've always bought, man, I can't read today. You're always buying new models, keeping up with the community at large. I finally had enough and sold all of my stuff. I only play board games now, Satan, Werewolf, and Ticket to Ride, maybe some M- uh, Magic the Gathering online, have been my bread and butter, far from the miniature game industry. Then, by happenstance, I come across a video review on Gorilla Miniatures by Ash, and he showcases your game. Your rules are free, so I join the Facebook group and I take a gander, not because I want to play or anything, just that the, quote, play what models you won't thing intrigues me. I'm mad because after reading the free rules, I bought the full PDF rules. I'm mad because after reading the rest of it, I felt it necessary to buy the hardback. I'm mad because I got to pull out my old HeroScape models to play with. I'm mad because I just bought a cartload of new miniatures on eBay. (laughs) What you have done is unfair. Now that I am slowly slipping back into this madness, I want you to know that you have destroyed my life. I was saving so much money by limiting myself to one board game per month, max. A hundred bucks later, I have enough for five warbands coming in the mail. Obviously, I am joking. I love the game, I play with my daughter Nine, and I'm getting my wife warmed up to it as well. Short, sweet, to the point, all players have all options, it's fantastic. No overly competitive builds, build what, I'm sorry, bring what you want to the table. I need my glasses on for this. The first part was a joke. This part isn't. I am mad at you for not releasing the arena mode. You announced this in October, if memory serves, and still no arena mode on my desk. You need to be stopped. After you release the arena mode. Angrily yours, less. Well, first off, I know a lot of this was a joke and you say you're mad, but gosh darn it, Les, you just can't be mad at me, right? I greatly appreciate all of the um, the nice words about brutality. It is my baby, and it means a lot to me that you would enjoy it. And um, yeah, it can be a slippery slope. Um, I have bought far too many models for this game, and I have like, man, I would guess probably 15 more bands of five to seven people, like a lot. Um, now, one thing I do have to mention is that you say $100 on miniatures. I don't think you specifically said what game you used to play. I'm assuming Warhammer or Kings of War or something. But, um, you know, 100 bucks for five full armies in Brutality is... I mean, while $100 is $100, number one, a lot of board games are $100. Number one. Number two, a lot of these games, whatever you used to play, probably 100 bucks would get you one or two units. So, even having said that, the rules are free. You didn't have to buy the PDF. You didn't have to buy the hardback, but I greatly appreciate that you did. But you didn't have to. You could have played with, you know, half the options, basically, on in the free rules. And you get all the basic rules, and um, you didn't have to buy those books. So you could have, if you wanted to, play this game, and if you bought one warband, so if it was 100 bucks for five warbands, you say, 
let's just say it's $20 for one warband for buying whatever models you want. You could have gotten the rules for free and you could have spent 20 bucks. Um, some would say, now I'm just throwing this out here. Some would say you did not have to spend a hundred dollars, but I'm greatly, <laughs> I'm very, very happy that you're enjoying the game. Um, your daughter, uh, nine years old, that's a pretty good age for this game. I mean, nine years old is not obviously the same for every kid, so they're more or less mature, but girls usually are more mature than boys at their same age, so nine years old for a girl, that's probably fine. My seven-year-old plays with me quite a bit. She doesn't quite grasp all the rules. I think she just likes rolling dice, <laughs> but, um, you know, nine years old is pretty good, so hopefully you're raising a little war gamer there, or at least a gamer, at least. And, um, like I said, I'm very happy. Um, my wife, I've never really approached her to play Brutality, so I don't think I've ever really bothered asking her, because she doesn't really like games that much. Um, so I'm happy that your wife is warming up to it. And, um, as far as the arena mode, so I actually have, I pretty much have an answer for you about the arena mode right now. Um, if this was actually when you wrote me originally... Um, this would have been like several weeks ago and I would have been like in probably the first editing stage, but so here's the deal with the brutality beast, uh, beast Jerry and arena mode, uh, Lord Dreadmore's gauntlet. What I do is I make the whole game. I edit it best I can on the computer screen, which I absolutely hate doing. I don't know what it is about it, but I hate editing on a computer screen. So I edit everything I possibly can. I read it over once or twice fully all 50 pages and um, once I think it's perfect, think it's perfect, I order a copy for myself. And that first copy is very important because I now have a hard copy in my hand that I can actually sit down and read with a cup of coffee or whatever and sit in a comfy chair and I'm not looking at a screen. And I can find way more stuff that way. And also, that lets me know how exactly it, you know, the layout is. Is it printing well? Are the colors pretty? Do all the color, the pictures come out well? All that um, visual stuff, the aesthetics of it. Then I edit it for a second time with that first copy. First copy is a, actually, for the third time, I use that first copy and edit it for a third time. Then I make changes, and I'm positive it's all good now, but I know better than that. And I will order a second copy. When that second copy comes in, I edit it again for a fourth time. And at this point, maybe in spelling error or something there, it's more formatting stuff. The, first, the third one, the reviews one through three are all for spelling errors and things like that. Then my fourth review on using the second copy is um, usually formatting stuff, make sure everything's in line, there's no weird spaces somewhere, or whatever, and also rules clarifications. Make sure that it's crystal, crystal clear, best I can do. And you know, the problem is I know what I mean, but I want to make sure you all know what I mean. So that is the fifth full-time at this juncture, or fourth full-time. Fourth full-time, uh, two, three, four, yeah, this is the fourth full-time I've read through this damn book, okay? Then I inevitably find some issues. So then I order my third copy, third hard copy. I fix everything from the second copy. I think it's perfect. I know it probably isn't. I order a third copy and I wait a couple weeks. But remember, their, their turnaround time from ordering to delivery is about two weeks where I live. So it takes them about a week to print it somewhere in there and then about a week for it to be delivered. So I, it's 
So when I declared that it was almost done back in, you claim October, I don't remember when it was. I'll just take your word for it. Back in October, think about it. I ordered a copy, waited two weeks, took me a couple days to edit. Then I order another copy, wait two weeks, a couple days to edit. Then I order a third copy, wait two weeks. Now we're six weeks into this at this point. And um, so I just got my third copy in the mail last night. And I spent all night, I spent a couple hours and read through this whole thing. Um, at this juncture, two, three, four. This is my fifth time reviewing this book. Fifth full time reading through it. And admittedly, I did find very few things. Um, I found one little formatting error about a lineup for a, a number and a word that I somehow missed before. I don't know how that happened. Um, I also found a little space in the table of contents that shouldn't have been there. Um, I mean, none of this is game-breaking stuff, but the thing is, is I want it to be perfect. I want you to buy a complete game. So at this juncture, after five reviews of 50 pages, that means I've read 250 pages worth of this book. And at this juncture, I'm not really enjoying reading it anymore <laughs> because it's I've just read it over and over. And I have to try to read it with fresh eyes. I have to try to read it like I don't know what it's going to say. And uh, that's actually nice about the two-week waiting period is because I do not even look at it for two weeks until the new copy arrives. I sit down with a cup of coffee or whatever and a pen, and I go through the whole thing again, all 50 pages. So last night, in my fifth editing of this, um, I got just a few, few little things, a couple more rules clarifications where I'm like, oh, you know, I probably should just specify this. Um, it's weird, like, um, one of the, I don't even remember what monster it is in the bestiary, but it says, I think it was the um, controller, which is basically a um, uh, beholder from D&D. &D. But I don't know if beholder's uh, trademarked or whatever, but it's basically a beholder and it's called a controller. And, uh, or mind controller, I think. And um, it has this ability where everybody within, you know, so many inches gets confusion markers. But I didn't want to... What I said was, is when it does this ability, every, every other model within 10 inches gets a confusion marker. But I meant every other model besides the model doing it, besides the actual mind controller itself. Well, that kind of makes it sound like oh, well, maybe it's like you put it on one guy and you skip the next guy and you put it on one guy and skip the next guy when I say every other, but I mean every other the other way. So I had to clarify that and say, you know, all player models or whatever. I just clarified it so he's not affecting himself, but you also affect every person within that range. There's a million little game design things that go into this. So um, I am in the process of editing it for the very last time. I am going to then review it for a sixth freaking time, but I am not, I'm, I'm satisfied with all the formatting stuff. I'm satisfied that everything's going to come out good. And, um, so I am not going to be ordering another copy, but I am going to edit it one last time, the sixth time to make sure that everything is perfect. And, um, ultimately it's never going to be perfect. There's going to be some little weird thing somewhere that I'm going to miss. And, but as long as I can, I told my wife that for brutality, I have the burden of proof. You guys don't know me from anything. You might know me as Pimpcron. You might know me from Shorehammer. You might know me from whatever, but I have the burden of truth, uh, proof as a little one man operation 
that my product is worth something. It has value. I've put effort into this. And there are a million different little one-man companies that give a half-assed effort. And there's a million... Man, I'm not going to tell you what game it was, but I bought an independent game from uh, like a one-man operation. And I was like, oh, I'm going to read this rule book because it looks neat. It's a skirmish game. I just, you know, I love to read rules. Uh, like game mechanics, not rules. But um, so I'm reading these game mechanics and I'm not lying to you. Every other page has a glaring spelling error. And I'm like, did you review this at all? Like, is this something that you, did you look through it? Did you get anybody to look through it? Um, it's just, it's nuts. Um, actually, this would probably be the seventh time I reviewed it because I actually got Matt, my friend Matt, to uh, review it as well. But you get my point. So um, I have the burden of proof. If you buy something from Games Workshop, they're a billion-dollar company, million-dollar company, whatever, and they've got hundreds or thousands of employees, and they've got all sorts of interns and editors and all that. I don't have all that. I'm a one-man operation. So you can assume, even though GW still has spelling errors and, and weird rules interactions, you can assume that when you buy a GW product, it's pretty high quality. I mean, it's 99% pure, good quality stuff. And then there's always going to be some little weird thing. But you assume that out of a big company. You generally assume that a little company or a little person is not going to give you a quality product. So that's why I go over this thing over and over and over um, ad nauseum because I want to make sure, I want to prove to you that it is worth your dollars. And um, once again, that's a that's a, a craft of passion is what that is. I could just spit out some shit in a book and you guys might buy it. And I'd be like, oh, cool, I put no effort into that and they bought some, suckers. I could be that way. But this game means so much to me personally. I mean, admittedly, everything I do means a lot to me. But that's just how I am, I guess. Um, but I have, I am not afraid to put effort into something and go the extra, extra, extra mile. So anyway, um, that is it. I'm not trying to brag, but Les, I greatly appreciate the email. I'm sorry it took so long to get back to you. And, uh, let's get on to Andy's email. All right. So this is an extra long, uh, mailbox. I didn't mean to speak to Les so long. Sorry, Les. Uh, but this is from Andy. He said, thank you for bestowing upon us the glorious recap of the Sacred Shorehammer. By the way, his email is oh, glorious Leader. <laughs> it sounds like you had a lot of fun. I am sad that I wasn't there to take part in the best wargaming convention. Oorah! Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. I was glad your podcast focused on the event so I could at least live vicariously through your experience. It sounded like you had a great time with the 40k narrative. Yes, I did. I was wondering how the players felt about the neutral faction's AI. I find that with a neutral faction, it's really hard to balance the NPC AI, so it's not too distracting from the main goal of thwarting your opponent, or not being robust enough so it's completely ignorable. Most of the time, I have used one. It usually turns into a game where the two players team up against the AI. This might be what you were aiming for, though. I was. I also wanted to know how did the players like the little blobs of Satan splinters, and did anyone complain about the Satan being too powerful? I love that Satan model. I have the exact one that I am using as the Nightbringer. Yours is well-painted and very impressive. Thank you, sir. Um, 
Okay, so actually, he goes on to talk about the AOS narrative, but let me stop here. So, first off, yeah, the Satan model is really beautiful. I painted it all by myself. It was really, really cool. Um, I'm, a, I'm a really excellent painter. No, actually, my friend Tony painted it. Um, I did not paint that Satan. So, our friend Tony painted it. He is basically a pro painter. He does commissions and things like that. So, he painted that specifically for that game. And uh, he's got purple on it and some cheetah print on the on the hood of it to match the Pimpcron stuff. So he did a really great job on it. So I did not paint the Nightbringer. Um, so he said that how did I um, how did I get the NPC AI to work? And you know it was either could it either be meh or overpowering? Well, the way I did it is essentially um, in the center of the board. Each um, there was four satan uh splinter units and they were on a cd flipped over and i used um drywall spackle to make the swirly nonsense about them and then i got zombie plastic zombies and put on there then i primed it all painted it all purple and energy colors so each unit was just a cd and it had six people in it each one of them had two wounds so they were 12 wounds for this unit but it's treated as one model and in close combat they get one attack for each one of the Actually, no, they got two attacks. They got two attacks each and two hit points each. So in close combat, if you're in combat with this thing, it's going to roll 12 dice, and on fives or sixes, you take mortals, period. There's no hit, wound, blah, blah, blah. Then in shooting, in 12 inches, they roll uh, two dice for each one of them that's left for each hit point. Um, so well, actually, they, they roll one dice for each hit point, I mean, but whatever, I'm getting confused here. They roll one dice in close combat for each hit point left. On five ups, you take a mortal. They roll one dice at 12 inches for each hit point left in ranged, and on sixes, you take a mortal. So what happens is, is the beginning of each game, at the very beginning of each turn, both sides roll off to see who starts controlling uh, the unit of their choice for these Satan splinters. And whoever wins that activates the first one, and then both sides alternate activating other ones. So you might want to activate one that's all up in your grill and messing with you. You might want to activate them to get away from you. Or the one that you already sent your opponent's way, you may want to activate them to go further into the opponent's territory and mess with them. Um, the Mortals was a really good thing. It worked out, to be honest with you, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm a very humble person, Andy. I am very happy with the way it worked. Instead of actually having an AI with logic, I just made it pretty, um, pretty balanced and... Instead of rolling off for each unit, you know, one side could control more if they rolled better. Instead, they just alternate. And in the case of the Thursday night narrative, the, uh, the other side, not my side, but the Imperial side got the benefit of they learned how to control these things better. And they automatically won the roll off every turn. So they would always activate the first unit of splinters. So if there was only one unit left of splinters, well, they get to activate one and we don't. If there was three, they get to activate two of them and we only activate one. That was just the way it goes. And um, they worked really, really well. Um, we did not focus everything on them intentionally because these units were not a massive threat. It's only on fives in close combat. It's only on sixes ranged. And uh, they would not charge you. They would just hit you on fives if you charged them. So sixes, you know, I mean, you're going to get a couple mortal wounds probably. But it's not some huge amount. It wasn't enough that they're like, oh god, that's so powerful that we got to take them out immediately. But they were taking up space. They blocked some movement. That was another thing you could do is you can move them and then shoot when you activate one. 
So you move them their six inches, well, you can block off an alleyway or whatever, and your opponent can't. They had to treat them as enemy models, too. So they couldn't go through them around them. So that worked out really well. The Stan was 60 wounds and four up in Vol and all that, and toughness eight. And, uh, of course, there was benefits after that that we got. I've already explained all that. And, um, no, the Satan, it, I'm telling you, it could not have worked out better. It just couldn't have. There's, there's no way it, I mean, arguably, if they somehow did a really great job in the first table, they could have killed him on the first table, or they could have killed him on the second or on the third, or, but no, they killed him. We killed him on the fourth table, the last table we could have. And, um, that was awesome. Like that was really, really awesome. And, um, cause he came in starting turn two on table one, turn three on table two and all that. So it was our last chance. We were the last line of defense to kill this thing and, f- and move forward the narrative story. Now, even if we didn't kill it, it would still move forward the narrative, but this is moving it forward in a different way. And, um, it was down to the wire. I mean, I could not have asked for better. Um, it would have been a little anticlimactic if I would have gauged the potency of this thing a little too little and it died on the first table (laughs) like that would have been pretty rough but um it it died on the last turn that was just amazing the last turn of the last table and uh and the shards they were not game breaking but they did impact stuff so that was cool and um overall it was great so to answer your question directly they did not have ai the um the satan shard would hurt everything within a radius or I'm sorry, the empowered Satan would hurt everything within a radiance, period. There was no AI. He doesn't move. He doesn't charge you. He's just mortals, you know, within a range. And um, then the splinters are just alternating ac- activation for your team. So you did whatever you wanted it to do. Get away from you or get closer to the enemy. Um, so that's... Ba- and nobody complained it was too powerful. When they heard that it was 60 wounds, 4 up invol. And uh, Toughness 8, they were like, oh god. But luckily, um, the two sides had captured all the objectives the night before. So one unit was treated as Toughness 7 and 5 up in Vol instead of 4 and all that stuff. I'm not going to get back into it. But um, it was really great. So his next segment uh, that he talks about is he says, I'm also glad that you had a good time with the AOS narrative battle. We all have had those games where we sneak in a win because of the scenario. It feels dirty, but oddly satisfying since you pulled a win from being trounced all game. What I would like to know, was there anything your opponent could have done differently to prevent your win? Uh, absolutely, but I'll finish this paragraph. Instead of kicking your teeth in, could he have done something to prevent you from freeing so many captives? Did he do all that he could and not just got and you just got lucky dice rolls on your part, or were your tactical genius that that won the day? Okay, so first off, let me answer your questions right in a row. Okay, you said, um, was there anything your opponent could have done to prevent your win? Yes, he could have. He could have just stopped murdering my guys, <laughs> like. Like, seriously, I couldn't bring them back if you didn't keep killing them. So, and he tabled me. I was, remember, I was playing two players and he was also playing two players. If one of the quote unquote players gets tabled, you just automatically bring on a unit. Well, he tabled my left side. Now, he could have not tabled my left side. He could have left one dude there or something like that, but he didn't. He just kept going balls to the wall. Um, and he said, uh, Andy asked, instead of kicking your teeth in, could he have done something different to prevent you from freeing so many captives? Yeah, he could have sat on the objectives. Like, I was going for 
the objectives. I was trying to free people. That was my whole mission that my Cities of Sigmar people entered this area to free captives. It was a humanitarian mission. And, I mean, honestly, well, that's my last caveat. And he also said, did he do all he could and you just got lucky dice rolls on your part? Or was it tactical genius that won the day on my part? Well, I gotta say, it's a little bit of both. He did not do all he could do to stop me from re- reinforcements. He he could have literally retreated and left me mangled and broken all my units. But instead, he pushed forward and beat my teeth in time and time and time again. That's what he did. And I did use my things effectively. Like uh, the very last turn, I could have dealt more damage to him. But instead, I brought in some handgunners and moved and ran and used a command point to make it a six and all of that to get to that far objective, which actually forced him to split his forces. He was going to be wiping me and taking an objective near my deployment zone, but instead he saw me taking that far objective, so then he splits off some Gorgruntas and attacked me over there, and luckily we were able to uh, pass the morale and everything. I needed like a one to pass the morale, the bravery, and not flee, and I I rolled a one. So it was it was ticker tape. Like, it was awesome. Uh, a photo finish. Um, so, there's a caveat to all this, though. I'm not trying to paint my friend David as a bad player. And the thing is, is that he was acting exactly how the orcs would would act. Like, yes, they're trying to defend these, these objectives, right? So, instead of actually sitting there on the objectives like some coward, they're going to get up in my face and smash my teeth in. And if I have people come on the board, they're going to smash, smash their teeth in as well. And if I bring other people back, they're going to smash their teeth in. So, he did not play poorly in any way. Now, admittedly, if I were him, knowing the whole reinforcement rules, I would have retreated once I got a unit down to, you know, 20% or something like that. I would have just retreated to prevent him from bringing him back. But he didn't do that. But that's not a mistake, necessarily. This is a narrative game, and my people are there not to fight orcs. We're there to free captives. And he's not there to necessarily free captives, although he wants to prevent me from freeing them. He wants to smash my face in because he's an orc. Now, if I was playing against, you know, some other faction that's, you know, like, I don't know what, some other faction that's maybe a little smarter and a little less aggressive, it would make more sense for them to retreat and do all that. But um, I always play my orcs as the cunning but brutal, and he plays more like the brutal but cunning. So that's the way that works. But don't let me paint him in a bad light. I'm not saying that. It's just that narratively, we both played our hardest. It's just that because of the game rules, I was able to bring so many people back. But narratively, I didn't bring them back. It was the captives I was releasing that picked up guns. So it was a, it was a fantastic game. Um, he, Andy also said, I also loved your want that or want that not segment. I love the, ba- the basic Vanzar models and chose that house for a local Necromunda league. My local group is doing these new guys continue the rule of cool. And I can't wait to get my hands on them. My big problem is I have no one here plays Necromunda. Maybe I can get my local group to switch to brutality, but Feel like there are too many GW fanboys in the group that might squash the idea. Maybe, if I ever get to play Brutality, I can use the Vanzar models for my Brutality squad. You know what, Andy? You're a pretty smart guy. You exactly could. Well, I think I'm all out of rambling, so I will wrap it up. I already put next Shorehammer on the calendar for next year, and I am peacefully waiting for registration to open. 
Hopefully things will be different and I can safely make it there unless aliens attack or Cthulhu wakes up. <laughs> I am planning to come out in the spring if I get the vaccine, so maybe I can swing by and we can get a game in. Your humble follower, Grendel. So, uh, I basically already answered all your questions. It was a, it was great to hear from you, of course. I was sad I couldn't see you. Um, you know, Andy flies from halfway across the country to come to Shorehammer. So that's, that's always a, a delight to see him. And hopefully we're all got our fingers crossed to this vaccine nonsense and all that. Hopefully it, it all works and hopefully we are out of this nightmare. Uh, but I don't really like to discuss that too much on the podcast. So hopefully I do get to see you, if not sooner, at least next Shorehammer. Hopefully everything will be back to normal in some fashion in a year. So um, that is it. Um, and I definitely have to get a game with you on Vassal, Mr. Andy. Uh, I have to get a game with you on Vassal for Brutality because um, I've, we're getting someone to make a module. Actually, Andy is making some Brutality tokens, hopefully. And um, hopefully all of that will work out well and we'll have our own Brutality module so you can just go on Tabletop Simulator and play. All right, this has been the world's longest Tesseract Mailbox at half an hour now, so I'm going to let this go. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Well, this here is Real Talk with the Pentcron, and tonight I have a bone to pick with people that are entirely out of touch and don't know what they're doing. So, you know Patreon's a thing right? And I'm on Patreon, lots of YouTubers are on Patreon, podcast people, Patreon, whatever. It's a great way to support the things that you like and you want more content, and that's all well and good. My problem is, is the audacity some people have when they have no product yet, and they're quote-unquote gonna work on it, and they want you to pay them money ahead of time. Um, I'm part of a lot of different groups on Facebook, a lot of, you know, skirmish war game groups or game-making groups or whatever, and this is more than once I've gotten this sort of post show up in my feed, and this one just kind of put me a little bit over the top. So this guy, of course, I'm not going to name names or anything like this, but this asshole Jeff, no, I'm kidding, I don't even remember his name, this guy gets on one of my Facebook groups, and he, this is the gist of his story. I'm not going to read it because I don't want you to buy a, to identify this guy or whatever, but he basically says he is an amateur game designer. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Technically, I guess I'm an amateur, although I'm published, so I don't know if that makes me professional. Regardless, amateur game designer, nothing wrong with that. And he says, hey, uh, I'm going to make this game, and you know, I won't even tell you the genre because I don't want him identified. And he says, I'm going to make this game, and uh, I'm going to try to get it out, you know, as soon as possible, and I really would like it if you guys hopped on the Patreon and supported this to fund this game. And I'm thinking to myself, so you're amateur. You're not even saying you're professional. And I mean, obviously he'd be lying if he said he's professional, but you're not even claiming to be a professional or a good or a skilled dude, right? You're just saying I'm an amateur, it's a hobby, whatever. Then you're asking for money with exactly no product. You're saying I'm going to make a game. Not that I'm currently making a game, which would already be stupid anyway, and I'd be just as mad, but this makes me even madder, because it's not, I've, I have a game, it's not even that I'm working on a game, it's not even that I'm almost done with a game, it's, gee, you know what, I woke up and I kind of have a thought that maybe I might consider contemplating, uh, designing, you know what, I already lost interest in this project. That's what it sounds like to me. 
It just doesn't sound like you actually have the cojones to pull off a game. And this, of all of you probably in the audience, after my development of the Epic War Planner and after the Brutality and after Brutality Bestiary and all that, I have kind of ran the gamut of game design and making a game system and all that. So I feel just slightly qualified to discuss this. And this guy, what bothers me is you have no product. You don't even have a deadline. It's not even like, hey, I'm almost done my game and it'll be, you know, released in a month. He's not even saying that. He says he's gonna make a game. And I went on his Patreon. Believe it or not, he did have one Patreon patron. And that could have been his mom or something. I don't know. But I'm like, the audacity of this. We have no idea what your skill is because you're just, you, you give us nothing to go off of. You, we have no idea if we're going to like the mechanics of your game. Because, once again, you don't have a game yet. And we don't even have a time frame or any promise whatsoever. So, essentially, that boils down to, Hey, um, I think I've got a way that maybe I can trick you into paying me monthly for nothing. And I have played so many beta games on Steam and things like that, which are not completely finished games. Essentially, that's kind of the same thing, although they're further along than this guy is. Essentially, the beta game is like, hey, it's not finished, but while we're working on it, this is a somewhat playable version. You know, you can try it out and buy it at a cheap price to help fund the development. You know, that's all well and good, but I have sworn, I have sworn, you know, I I went out on a dark, stormy, rainy day. The rain was driving like bullets, and I went up to this old hill in the middle of, I'm going to say Ireland, and it was windswept, and you could see all the like ripples in the grass, the tall grass, and there was a grave there, and that was my grandmother. She was the last Highlander, and I am like, Grandma, I promise, I swear on your holy grave as the last Highlander that I will never, ever, ever, ever support a beta game, a beta level game for Steam, ever. And, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, if we're being honest here, if your grandmother is the last Highlander and she's dead and, you know, she cut down that whole long lineage of Highlanders and all that um, and she's dead and then you swear on her grave like and it's raining like all dramatic, you know, that that's a that's a promise that you pretty much got to keep. Like, that's a serious promise. That's no like, oh, my grandmother was cremated and I'm just going to look at her urn and go, hey, grandma, I'm going to try not to buy beta games. That's that's got a different weight to it, I think. So, um, <laughs> stupid. Anyway, uh, so I, I feel like after swearing on her grave in the driving rain in Ireland, um, that I am never ever going to support beta games again because I have played so many Steam games and bought them in beta and all that. Um, what is it? It's not, what's the zombie game? Man, there's so many zombie games now. But remember, it was like the original zombie game that came out at the height like 10 years ago. And I can't think of what it is. It's like a one-man developer. And it's like open world. And it's roguelike. You don't get do-overs. You just die. And you're trying to survive. And it's, um, I think isometric is the point of view it would be called. It's like three-quarter view. And the graphics kind of suck. But it's one of those classic zombie mo- uh, zombie games that came out. It's not one of the millions that have come out since then. Anyway, it's you would know it if you saw it. It's got like a picture of a guy wiping his mouth and he's got an axe and whatever. That has been in beta for freaking 10 years. Now, 
admittedly, he still does keep adding to it. So you can only hate it on him so much. But like, for instance, I backed Rust and Rust was like, oh, beta, whatever. And then they have done basically nothing with it. And let's talk about Minecraft. Minecraft is basically still in beta for like, what, 20 freaking years. And that's an exaggeration, but you get the point. Um, Zomboid. Zomboid, I think, is the name of that game I was talking about. But anyway, uh, Minecraft, they will spend six freaking months. My son still plays Minecraft a lot. They will spend six freaking months backed by Microsoft, of all people. And they're like, yeah, it took us six months. Uh, here's some bees. Yeah, we added bees to the game. I'm thinking, do you know how many indie games were just made in six months and you added freaking bees to the game? Oh, now you can change your bed color. Oh, like stupid. It's lazy. It's stupid. So I have, and uh, Rust was still never finished. Rust was a real lame We played it originally, me and McStorman did. And um, it was pretty neat then. And then they decided that, oh shit, we did this the wrong way. And they had to re- redesign the entire game, which means no new product forever. And it's still not finished. Like, you know what, guys? You make me a finished game and I will play it. But I am not playing this game anymore. I'm not giving you money for a half-assed game that you're probably never going to finish. There's so many games on Steam that I have looked into and I'm like, oh, this looks pretty good. And the minute I see that blue banner that says beta, I go, nope. And I'm just going to put it on my wish list and wait to see if they ever release it because I'm done with it. And a lot of these, you look at the reviews, and they're like, yeah, this game's been out for four years, and they haven't updated it in a year. I think it's dead. I'm like, oh, well, good. I'm glad I got a, I got a 60% done game. I'm really happy to hear that. Well, even that is still a game to play, and this dumb asshole on this Facebook group is going to be like, oh, I might uh, think about uh, a game. No, you're not. I am not giving you money, you dumb asshole. I'm just not doing it. And so let's look at my design for brutality and I'm not trying to be holier than there, but I put freaking effort into it. Okay. And I hope you heard me clapping my hands for emphasis. Um, (laughs) I had it in open beta for several years, but guess what? I didn't ask for any money. I never asked for any money in, in three or four years of development. I had the rules open for a free version of rules and everything was hunky-dory, and yes, it would change. I would update it about once a year, every six months, with new, you know, upgrades and all that. And um, as I added to the game, I added more to it. But the rules were free, so if you did not want to support the game by, well, I, I guess downloading the game, downloading it for free, it's not really support, but if you wanted to play the game, you could for free, because I acknowledged that it was not a finished game. And I did not expect anybody to give me money for a non-finished game. And like I said, this guy, I don't know why I'm so triggered by it, but I am. I'm triggered by the idea that, you know, you ask people, it's like, it's kind of like the whole thing, like the OnlyFans and all that stuff. I mean, technically that is a service you're getting, but it's like everybody wants to be a YouTuber. Everybody wants to have an OnlyFans. Everybody wants to be a streamer. Everybody wants, I'm like, dude, just... You know, if you're uniquely good at what you do, that's fine. But chances are you're probably not uniquely good at what you do. I'm sorry to say that. That's that's the school of hard knocks. I don't want to discourage anybody from doing stuff. You should definitely try. Maybe you've got some skills and maybe you don't. I feel like I've gotten much, much better at speaking, especially off the top of my head like I am right now, on the podcast after two years of practice. It's just one of those things I do still say so too often. And occasionally I do have an um. But generally, my words are pretty fluent now, and at first they weren't. 
and uh, I'm I'm excited that I feel like I finally have a hang on this and the whole editing process and all that. But it doesn't come naturally, probably. And I'm getting slightly derailed. But the point is, is that you you can't expect people. I just the audacity, the straight up audacity of somebody to think that they are so skilled that with no proof and no game to even try, no free rules at all, they can get people to sign on monthly. Like, if they were the only single war game out there, period, like they just invented the war game, okay, maybe might pe- people might do that. They might hop on board to be like, wow, what's this newfangled contraption called war game? And they might do that. But being that the market is flooded with a bajillion different games in the wargaming market, I just don't see why anybody would give you one silver shekel. I don't get it. And, I mean, give me some proof of concept, at least. I mean, something to go off of, because this is bullshit, is what it is. So, I don't like how everybody wants everyone to... You know, I have a Patreon. You could hate on me for having a Patreon, right? But I I legitimately do have costs with this podcast. I mean, it costs me a couple hundred dollars a year for various things. And it's just... I'm giving you a product. Even, like, the the vast majority... the, The vast majority of you listen to this podcast for free. And that's totally fine. I, you're getting a product. If you don't want to support it, that's totally fine. It's entirely up to you. I greatly appreciate the people who do support it because it helps me, it allows me to do this. But I'm giving you a product. You see proof of concept. Like, you see that I'm putting effort into it. You see that you, whether or not you do like it or you don't. But that would be like me two years ago before the podcast was even out going, hey, uh, I'm thinking about doing a podcast and I don't know anything about it and I don't know if I'm going to stick with it and I don't know anything about podcasting, but I would really like it if you guys hopped on my Patreon and, you know, supported the show that will be maybe, uh, I don't know. I think I've I think I've droned on long enough about this, but the guy just offended me. <laughs> the, the freaking naive audacity of this person. It just pissed me off. And this is not the first post I've seen. There's actually a lot of games. A lot of the indie games are asking for monthly do- donations on Patreon and stuff as they make the game. And I feel like that is total bullshit. If you want to make a game, do what I did. Pay for all the art, hundreds of dollars of art out of pocket and you hope you sell your book. That's what happens. Like, that's, you know, all the all the costs of everything. It's just the trademarking and all of that is all out of pocket, and you got to take that risk. If you're not serious about it, then don't take the damn risk, and don't ask me to just give you money for no reason. I guess that's what offends me the most. It seems like this is just give me money for no reason is what it is. Uh, I think I've said basically all I can about it, but... So, uh, you will never catch me play a beta game on Steam, ever. Uh, I'm totally done with that. So many beta games left unfinished pisses me off. And I will never, ever give someone one shiny shekel for the thought of maybe the idea that they're going to do something. Just no, no thank you. You know, chances are game design is not easy. And chances are little compadre that posted this on the on the thing. Um, and he wasn't Hispanic. I'm just using that phrase. Chances are you are don't have the skills to make a game accurately and a full a full fledged game. I'm sorry. Um most people aren't good at running marathons. You can work at it, sure, but you're not good at it right out of the gate. 
Most people aren't good at basketball unless they try. Most people aren't good at game design unless they try. Matter of fact, most people aren't good at most things. Let's just say that. Guess what? Pretty much any single one of you would whoop my ass in basketball. I have never been good at basketball. I can't throw a basketball well. I can't dribble coordinatedly very well. I just... Any of you... Any one of you listeners would probably whoop my ass. Guess what I'm also not good at? Golf. Hate golf. Baseball? Don't like baseball. Now, I was pretty good at football when I played, but the, the point is is that most people aren't good at most things. I can't crochet. Um, I'm not good at cycling, necessarily, like competitive cycling. Um, totally don't know anything about ballet. Guess what? I'm probably only average at math. Like, th- there's a million things that I'm just not, quote-unquote, good at. And chances are, if you've got a full list of every skill known to man, most of them you're not quote-unquote good at. And by good, I mean better than average. Most people are just average. Guess what? The average person is pretty average. And that's the way that goes. So, the chances are, this guy that wants to build a game... How many of you wanted to create a game and never got off your ass and did it? I mean, that was me for 15 years, ever since a teenager. I didn't, you know, it's, it's... There's so much that goes into making a game, and this guy is likely going to fail. I'm not wishing that on him. I I wish him all the best. But with no proof of concept, if you gave me the free rules for your game partner, then I would look at them and I would go, oh, this has promise or this doesn't have promise. And that's the way I would do it. If I thought the game had real promise and he was 80% done and I was interested in the game, then maybe I would support him on Patreon. But don't just declare that you think you might do a game and ask me for monthly money. That pisses me off. So, uh, no free rides on the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, thank you all for listening to the Pimp, the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. And, uh, completely unironically, um, thank you to all my Patreon subscribers. <laughs> I love you all, but, but you are getting a prod, uh, product. So whatever. And uh, thank you so much to GameMat.eu, and uh, they supported Shorehammer again this year, and that was wonderful. We got terrain sets from them and stuff like that, so we got to uh, buy a bunch of stuff. Anyway, uh, that is it. So I will talk to you next week on the Pimpcron Warhammer Podcast. (laughs) 